So glad that you're with us on the last Sunday of the year. Can you believe it's the last Sunday of 2023? You know, a lot has happened, as we saw in the video. And I want you to think back on your year, but I just want you to think back on your year thinking about one question on the screen. What have you kept count of in 2023? What are the things that you kept count of? There are so many different things we can keep count of. Maybe our steps. Maybe our calories. Maybe our macros. Here's one. How about how many times this year you heard the word preterist, idealist? Um, See, I, I, I heard them so many times. No, right? We've heard so many different things. But what are the things that we kept count of? And I think about it so, so often in life, we keep count of things that just don't matter. We keep count of things that don't last. We keep count of things that are pretty, like our pride and our reputation, our ego. Uh, we keep track of so many different things. But what I want you to think about today is what, how would your list change? What kind of impact would your list change if we looked at it through the lens of the gospel? If we looked at it knowing that we have a living Savior, like we were mentioned, uh, we were reminded earlier in that song. And you're reminded again here on the screen, when I was preparing for today, this, this has been something that all throughout this year in my life, if there's ever a time where I'm not sure what to do next, I turn to this song. And you might know it. It goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that our Savior holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. You see, in this last Sunday of the year, I've been given the opportunity to preach and help transition into new year. And because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. And because Jesus lives, we can face no matter what 2024 may throw at us. But like I said, if I'm going to preach and if I'm going to give this opportunity, I got to give you the good news up front. You have to remind you of what this gospel, this living savior we, that, we, that we celebrate, that we focus, that we follow. And on the screen, you're going to see a great verse, Romans 10, 9. Someone out there, this might be the first time you've ever heard this verse. Maybe this is the hundredth. I don't know how many times you keep count of it. But every time I hear this verse, it reminds me why I'm here, why I'm in this place. So how do we find this righteousness? How do we find this salvation? It's right here that says, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess, how do we do this? How do we, how do, we do it? We confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Further down in verse 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the crucial part though. 14, and how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Amen? Amen. It's probably the only time my feet will be called beautiful is right there. <laughs> we don't, our feet are beautiful. Why? Because it carries the message to everywhere we go, to everyone that we meet. We carry a beautiful message and our feet are beautiful because we bring it to them. Whew. Now, now, now that you've got the good stuff out of the way, who am I? I'm Josh. Burala, Butala, tomato, tomato. I don't care what you call me. Call me Josh. It doesn't matter. And if the things that I've been keeping count of this year Two, on the screen, two new jobs for me. Two new opportunities I've been given to work, to grow, to build. 
one at Bucksmont Counseling and one here as the young adult pastor. And what a beautiful thing it is to have those two opportunities. What else did I count in 2023? Well, fortunately, I still have one wife, (laughs) one daughter who's 18 months. Like I said, two new jobs. We have a new house. But more importantly than anything else, I still have one faithful, unrelenting, ever-chasing God. We talked about his goodness. We just sang about his goodness. You know, I'm standing here today in this spot at this time because God brought me here. This wasn't, this wasn't part of the story that I was writing for myself. It didn't have a Calvary chapter. And I don't know how you got here either. But we're all here right now because God brought us here. Knowing that is exciting to me. Knowing that is ex- <laughs> Can't wait to do the rest of what I get to do today. There's a story there that needs to be told. Each of you has a story. I have a story to tell. But the only story that really matters, you know, I say this a lot to people, your story starts when you stop being the main character. When your eyes become, there's no so much more eyes. It's about Jesus and what Jesus does in my story. You know, I try to count how many times I've preached before this day. I have no clue. I do remember my first time preaching. I preached on John 20 and 21, one of my favorite passages about how Jesus reinstates Peter, gives him a second chance, a a hundredth chance at that point. And I'm always overcome by how God always wants us back, how he pursues us and wants you back in the game. I remember the last time I preached. (laughs) The last time I preached, not here, was the worst day of my life, one of the worst days of my life. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it changed my life forever. And don't worry, it had nothing to do with what happened during the sermon. The sermon went fine. It's what happened around the sermon and what was going on in my life before and even after it. It changed my life and my wife Amy's life forever. That was a day where the towel could have been thrown, right? In boxing, you get that standing eight count. We were at a standing eight count, but we weren't knocked out. I knew we weren't knocked out. You see, something inside me said it's far from over. It's just over where you're at right now. But I didn't know where next was going to be. I really didn't, to be honest. But the word that always keeps coming in my mind every time I want to quit, every time I think it's over, it's two words, actually. It's press on. Press on. You see, the title for today, if I haven't said it already, if you haven't seen it, is Making the New Year Count. Making the New Year Count. Press on comes from Philippians chapter 3. And today we're going to look a little bit at chapter one and two. I'm going to do my best to kind of jump in there, show you some ways that we can make the new year count and finally land in three. You see, the Josh that preached that day is mostly dead. (laughs) He was adequate for that time and he was adequate for that space, but he's not adequate for here or now. After that day, I told God, I'll never preach again unless you open a door. And I was okay with that. And can I tell you how the door was open? <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I'm here before a service and Charles comes and says, hey man, I'd love to get you up on stage at some point. I said, great. Hey, just let me know. Let me know when the opportunity is. I'll, I'll walk through that door. Uh, forward, that was a couple months ago. Pushed back a couple weeks. Um, I'm out doing a, a leisure activity, something I haven't done in a lot of years. I was up in a tree hunting and uh, having a great day. And just, I saw a little doe come in with her, uh, with her mom and don't worry, they made it. I, I, having a wife and daughter, not even, not even entered my mind, right? Not even, nope, not a chance. But it was great. And they went and gone. And I was just, man, God, thank you for this, this day and this opportunity and this friend who gave me this opportunity to hunt. And all of a sudden, I get a text on my phone. 
And I was like, oh, geez. And it says, give me a call when you get a chance. And I was like, who in the world could this possibly be? And I did something I normally don't do. I answered very short. I just said, who's this? And the response is, oh, I'm sorry. It's Charles. (laughs) And I'm like, you're sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, boy, it's Charles. Okay. And he didn't have to say Charles Zimmerman. It's kind of like Oprah or, you know, Gandhi. It was, it's Charles. I, I knew who it was. I was dead to rights. And, and, I, and I sat there and I was like, you know what, though? Something came back to me. First of all, I read the way the text read. Did you hear the vulnerability in the text? It was, give me a call when you get a chance. That put me at ease. And then I thought back to the first time I met Charles when I was first on staff and I was nervous and didn't know what to do. And I remember I was in his, I was in his office and, you know, he's got some things hanging in his office that reminded me that he wouldn't mind if I took a little time to kind of wait until the, the day was over. So I, called, so I called after the day was over, didn't get anything. And he said, hey, we'd love for you to preach on the last Sunday of the year. We'd love to have an opportunity to talk about some of the, your story and how you got to where you're at. Talk a little bit about the young adults and what you've been doing with them in Philippians and, uh, and such as that and counseling and all the, everything else in, in between. And the reason why I bring up that story, because something I can, another thing I can count this year, honestly, is a new friend, a new mentor, uh, somebody who cared about me. I mean, a guy who's preached, I don't know how many times here, who knows it, who's, who's done it, who's shown it. I have so much respect for him that he had enough respect for me, not only to ask me to preach, but also once, once we were getting closer to the process, he said, Josh, whenever you need, whenever you want, come to me and we'll go over it together. And we'll look at your stuff and I'll do whatever I can to help you. Like, that's awesome, man. I'm sorry. For me, like, if someone had take the interest in me like that in the time where I was at, that meant a lot. So thank you, Charles, for that. And honestly, that, I think we have, to, we have to give credit to people more often. We live a life that we don't, we don't, we don't count the things that count. That counts. That made a difference in me. That will, that's going to change me for the, for the duration of where I go next. So looking at this. You know, like I said, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the pastor of young adults. Um, what a great thing. I see some of you guys here. Thank you guys for showing up. That's awesome. I really appreciate it. And we've been in the book of Philippians. And when I look at, the, when I look at young adult life, 18 to 30, it's one of the hardest stretches of life. It was one of the hardest stretches of my life. I longed for community. I longed for people to pour into my life. I lived so much of my 18 to 30 by myself, not with people who were, who were going after the same things longing for the opportunity to meet and the opportunity for us to be encouraged. So I don't know where you're at on your walk or where you're, wherever you're trying to do on your own, but if you're trying to do it on your own, it's not going to work. We don't grow outside the context of community. And I'm very intentional about building this community to be a community where we love on one another, a community like we see in the book of Philippians. I chose Philippians on purpose. The book of Philippians is a powerful book where Paul And the Philippians have such an amazing relationship, a friendship. He's writing this book 12 years after meeting them. And when you read it, you can turn there with me. As you look at chapter one, we see so much joy. It's a book of joy. It's a book of joy because it's a book of joy amidst such hostility. They were living for Christ in a hostile environment. Being a province of Rome, Philippi was a province of Rome. They were 800 miles away from Rome, but they were Roman citizens. And they had to determine who their allegiance was going to be to. You know, whenever you're forming a a community, you can base it on a lot of things. You can base it on family ties, professional associations, or ethnicity. 
But that was, a, that was a society, that was, excuse me, that was a community, a church built on one principle by declaring what they did was that they declared that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, a community. And what we are here is a community that declares that. We declare it. And as you see on the walls, we want to connect with this community and impact it and continue the work that he started. So as we move forward here and as we look at it, you know, two quotes are going to come on the screen. Because if you want to move forward, you kind of have to be unsettled, dissatisfied with where you're at. Two, ones, two, two quotes on the screen. A divine dissatisfaction is essential for spiritual progress. Right? There's always that feeling in us, man, I could have done more. I could have done more. There's more in the tank. There, there's got to be more in me. I can do more. Or the second part, self-satisfaction. Or we get on the other hand, I'm doing pretty good. I like where I'm at. I serve here. I serve there. I do this. I do that. And in reality, that self-satisfaction is the death of progress. You see, holiness is a dynamic thing, a movement towards God every day. Chasing after him, going after him, making him your single pursuit. That's what it means to press on. It's like an, it's like an enemy army chasing another enemy army trying to get at them with everything they got, throwing everything at it. You know, in, real, in life, honestly, think about your own life, my life. We tend to get better at the things we pursue. We tend to get, we, the things that we want to improve on, we figure it out. We talk to people. We prioritize it. We watch videos on it. We read books on it. If we made, if we made our pursuit of Christ a singular focus, how would that change our life? So many ways. So many ways that I can't even say it for you. So looking at this book of Philippians, what a wonderful book. Some people call it the bumper sticker verse. So many different verses out there. Some of your favorite verses you might not even know are in Philippians 4.13, like the one on the screen there. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But here's the most important thing about this again. Philippians is Paul's most personal, positive, and joyous letter. The amazing part is he's writing this from prison. He's writing this from the worst possible place. Out of the worst possible place comes the highest amount of joy. So you might be in the worst possible place. And you might be trying to get out of that worst possible place any way that you can. And God says, no, you, even in, Paul shows this, even in the worst possible place, you can encourage, you can press, you can move forward. Making the new year count. So how are we going to do it? First thing from chapter one. Making the new year count. Have a single focused mind. See, our mind has to have a singular focus. Live for Christ and the gospel. Live for Christ and the gospel. That's the what. Not, not, not surprising, we know the what. See, Christ is mentioned 18 times in chapter one. And the gospel is mentioned six other times. So the question is not so much the what. I think we know the what. If I'm sitting out there, I'm thinking, well then what does that mean? What does that do? And if you look at, the, at, at chapter one, there's no less than eight things that the single focused mind does. You can see them on the screen. It rejoices regardless of circumstances. It keeps others in our minds, our hearts, and our prayers. It celebrates partnership in the gospel. All of those things. So exciting. Take a picture of them. Make sure you write those down. All of those things are what you're going to go back to when you're not sure that you're doing what's count, what counts. When you persevere through adversity, as you saw on the screen there, number four, right? The gospel advances through adversity. Paul spread it through the prison guards. 
everywhere he went. He didn't say, well, I'm in prison, it's over, I'm done, right? I had a chance to stop last year. Last year at this time, I was working in the North Penn School District in a great job, pretty great job. I mean, I, I kind of liked it. I kind of got sick of it at the same time because I felt like I wasn't moving anywhere. I felt like I wasn't doing anything. I had no idea though that the friendships I was making, the relationships I was doing then were gonna come and come to full fruition later in the year of this year. And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit later. So don't look at your circumstances and say nothing can happen. Perseveres through adversity. Five, desires for Christ to be proclaimed and glorified. Right? If you want your new year to count, make sure God gets the glory. Six, it labors fruitfully. Paul said, I don't know if you, whether I'd rather be in heaven, but if I'm here, I'm going to work. I'm going to labor. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to keep fighting. Seven, it stands firm together. I love that. 127. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. You see, we got to be strong on the inside here, church. I don't know many of you out there. I look at it, I see a sea of faces. I don't know most of you. I'd love to know you. I'd love to help you in your story. And I'd love you to help me in my story because we're not going to do it alone. Please, in 2024, reach out. Don't, don't fight this fight alone. Because the first seven aren't too bad. Then eight. <laughs> Believe in Jesus and here it hurts and suffers, right? It's going to be hard. Suffering, though, is no indication of you're doing the wrong thing. There's always opposition. As we're trying to live for Christ, there's always opposition. The suffering happens, but it's worthy. It's the worthy fight. And don't fight that alone, like I just said. Final thing here. Single focused mind. A couple action steps. Love for you to write one of these down. Take this home. Because what I've said, you've already heard. And I think what I've already said again is what, what you might be doing. But this is exactly what you can do when you leave the room today. I love the first one. Identify the toughest circumstance in your life and invite God into work with you. And also seek the help of others. So take a look at those. Or the last one, number four, make up your own action step. Go back and read chapter one and look at those things. Chapter two. See the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of what Philippians shows us that if enough people have a single focused mind, it produces a genuine fellowship. What's fellowship? It means having in common with one another. You build the community here by choosing your mind. Is it going to be my mind or the single focused mind on God or on Christ and the gospel? Philippians is a letter of friendship. You know, he reminds us we got to live like citizens of heaven here on earth. We have the opportunity to start that now. We carry the name above all names. You know, you're going to see a scale on the, on the screen there. The most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon. I'm doing my best. Or a powerful book. It's the consistent life of believers. You see, there's a tendency on Sunday to fire off like a bottle rocket. <laughs> and then Monday hits you right in the face. <laughs> and Sunday feels like it's 10 years ago. That's why every day it's this consistency of me evaluating, is my walk in line with the gospel? Is my mind focused on, is it, do I have a single focused mind? What does chapter two show us? Chapter two shows us making the new year count. Have a single focused loyalty to the savior. What does that mean? Is mean if we are focused on our loyalty to the savior, we're gonna build community in a highly individualistic society. You see our beautiful savior submitted to the plan of salvation. 
He came down, we just celebrated this on Christmas, born in a trough, grew up anonymously in a town where nothing good came from, the ultimate underdog, the ultimate Cinderella story, (laughs) but not really. He decided to be an underdog. He decided to be the Cinderella so that he could seek and to say that which was lost. See, your loyalty to him will determine then how I treat the community, whether I get out of my own comfort zone, right? Whether I get out of my own individualness or do I pour into others or do I seek out others? Building the individuals, you see a lot, of, a lot of New Year's things is all gonna be about you and how you're gonna change and resolutions and all those things. And in reality, what happens is building the individual outside of the community really only brought, builds two things. If I build someone, if I build myself outside of community, I'm really only building my pride and my selfishness, right? And as long as those two things are being you know, helped and, and, fed and fed and all the rest, everything's good. You know, another way of looking at it this year is what, am I gonna, what are we going to build together in the new year? What are me, the Lord, whoever your we is, there's got to be no more I. <laughs> we don't exist outside of the I very well. Find your we, the we together. Together as a community, we move forward. Because in life, we need, old philosopher Kierkegaard said this, we need necessity and possibility. The things I'm talking about, having the mind of Christ, having the, having the loyalty to a savior, that's the necessity. If you make those necessities in your life, the possibilities are endless of what God can do with you. But today is an opportunity to decide. I love this. The word decide, what does it mean? It means to cut off. What you do when you decide to do something is literally to cut off other options. Notice that the Bible says in chapter two, have this mind of Christ. That's in chapter two, verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here it is, verse five. Put this on your bumper sticker, put it in your notebook. Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was in the, though though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You see, we want God to fill us. God fills us when we empty ourselves. Every single day is an opportunity to pour out whatever you and the Lord have in, whatever he pours into you, pour it out. Empty yourself and he'll fill you back up. It's an incredible transaction that happens. Live for others. Mind of Christ is the attitude of Christ. You know, I can happily say where this is happening. (laughs) This this model of of people being... uh, focused on, on, the, on the goal at hand, living for each other, not living for themselves, is happening at Bucksmont Counseling. And on the screen, you're going to see our, our team there. You see, last year at this time, I was a lone wolf in the counseling world. You know, I was doing my thing. I was trying to, you know, um, make it happen, you know, do things. But I'm not a lone wolf anymore. On the screen, you see Jess and you see Kira. Jess is our leader. Uh, Jess, I, I, can't, uh, <laughs> I can't thank you enough. I know you're here. Uh, Jess, open up the invitation to me last year, tail end of April, kind of saying, hey, how would you think about, I, I, honestly, I don't have time to get into the full story, but I'll tell you a different story. So where we're at on that screen there. So amazingly, we're at a conference not too long ago and we're enjoying things. Jess, like I said, great person, great heart. Jess is one of those people that no matter what you say, she makes you think it's the most wonderful thing you've ever said in your life. Oh, I just said, hello. she just, she has that way. So that's her superpower, one of her superpowers. Kiera, very logical, very on point, very intelligent, right? And then there's me. What am I? I don't know. I'm a little bit of, (laughs) 
I'm a little bit of everything. But one of the things I really love, I, I love metaphors, I love stories. So we're sitting out there during lunch, during a break, uh, enjoying the sunshine, and they both go off on their own way to go get something. And I'm, th- I'm there by myself. And I'm like, what can I do? Like, I, c- I could just sit there and enjoy the sunshine, right? So I say, you know what? They gave us this free book. I'm going to pull out this free book. And I start flipping through it, and I see this metaphor, the metaphor of the wind and the sun. You got, anybody know that one? Exactly. <laughs> no, you don't. But I loved it. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. See, the wind and the sun were having a competition. Which one was stronger? And they saw a guy who had a jacket on. And they, so the wind took his first shot and shot this blast the wind at the guy, knocked him back a little bit, but he kept his jacket on. The sun, on the other hand, kind of just consistently kept shining, slowly but surely. And after a time, the guy's like, it'd be more comfortable to take my jacket off. No coercion took his jacket off, right? So I'm thinking, I got to share this with Justin. I got to share this with the team, right? So they come back from lunch. Uh, or they come back, we start having lunch. And I, I, I throw out the question, hey, have you guys ever heard of the metaphor of the wind and the sun? As if they were waiting their entire life to hear this. And I'll tell you what didn't happen. Jess didn't go, aw. She kind of just looked ahead like this. And Kara didn't go, oh, that was really interesting, right? So in my moment, I'm thinking I'm being like the sun. I was like the wind. I was trying to blow in there, right? So okay, didn't go well. What happens next? Well, the next day, the conference continues and there's a, a keynote speaker talking about how to be a master of psychotherapy, the masters and what the next level is going to be look like. And one of the things he starts talking about, he goes, now, if you really want to take it to the next level and, you know, you really want to use some higher level things in therapy, you've got to use metaphors. <laughs> and you ever have one of those moments where you want to, like, they're both to my left. And you want to kind of look over them and be like, did you, did you catch that? <laughs> did you get that? But I didn't. I, on the inside, though, I was like the guy from the breakfast club. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. So excited, happy. Right? But I didn't, I didn't. No. Flash forward to this Friday. This Friday. I'm watching the, a show with my wife uh, called Suits. And Suits is talking about uh, that someone just had won a big win. And they're like, how did you do the big win? And the, and the, lady, was, and the lady was like, well, because I, know the metaf- I know the story of the wind and the sun. <laughs> if I was like this before... <laughs> I was like that after. You see, it was after time. See, the sun, the metaphor is true. If you stay consistent to what you do. You see, I don't have to try to be metaphor man every time I'm with Jess and Kira. I don't need to do that. I add it when it's necessary. But ultimately, what I'm more interested in is not that I, everyone thinks I'm smart or that I have all the creativity. Of course, I want to add it if it helps the situation. But we work because we all work together for the same purpose. We want to help other people. Bucksmont Counseling is a beautiful place. We have the opportunity. We're going to be aggressive in the new year trying to go into the community to reach people who wouldn't, who wouldn't nearly often get to uh, come and see us. So if you want to be a part of that, please do. Pray for that. If you want to back that, you're, if you want to help, uh, help someone get counseling for a year or for a half year, please let us know. So I love that. That's where community happens. So what, what is that illustration of? This is what the single focus loyalty does. It empties itself and serves others. It sacrifices serving others, even though it's costly. It glorifies, it works out, and it shines in the darkness. Last thing, making the new year count in chapter three is having a single focus pursuit. A single focus pursuit to press on. See, this is where it gets personal to you. This is where it's gonna take some reflection, some inner gardening and tilling. 
Paul tells his own story of conformity to Christ in this chapter. I don't have time to read it today. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. You see what he does in the first, seven, uh, first six verses, he goes down his resume. These are all the things I've accomplished in my life. And he's got quite the spiritual resume. And now or later, when you have some time as you're working towards 2024, write down your spiritual resume. All the things that you're proud of. All the things maybe you accomplished this year in 2023 or in the years prior. And he writes them down. The only problem is all those things that Paul was writing down in in verses 1 through 6 didn't include Jesus. You see, it's so hard to see when my eyes and when our eyes are on ourselves. And when Paul looked at his life and went through all of those things, he realized there's no confidence in the flesh, only in Jesus. In another place in Scripture, he said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. So what can we do? What does the single focus pursuit do, does? <laughs> Number one, it counted everything a loss into comparison of knowing Christ. You find that in verse seven. Paul looked at his life and up to that moment, everything was a loss compared to knowing Christ. In the second verse, in verse eight, in the present, after 30 years of ministry, after 30 years of heartbreak, shipwrecks, beaten, imprisoned, he counts everything, it says in verse eight, as trash compared to knowing Christ. You see, we have the opportunity to experientially learn and know about Christ. To gain the fuller knowledge of Christ, Paul had let everything else in his life go. An ounce, I love this quote, an ounce of heart knowledge is worth a ton of head learning. So what can you do? My life verse, 314. And 13, 13, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this or already am perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. So forget what lies behind, strain forward to what's ahead, and press towards the goal. In closing, it says on the screen, how sweet, because he lives, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and the joy that she gives, but greater still that calm assurance we can face on certain days because he lives. You see, I threw a different, I threw a curveball there. You see, a new thing that Amy and I and our family are counting is that our kid count is going from one to two. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's so much cooler than like shooting a blue and a pink. And a, why not do it here in front of my, my family here, my new family, right? So pray for us in that way. You can count on a lot of things heading into the new year. You can count your calories. You can count your social media followers. You can count your money. Maybe you can even count your blessings. I want you to take account of two things like Paul did in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Think back to when you first were saved. Did you, think, did you count that as your most important thing then? Think about that. Think about the joy that you felt the first time you accepted Christ. Now second, think of your life now after everything you've done and accomplished. Do you count it as garbage in comparison to knowing Christ? 
if you want to make 2024 count, take those two things into account. The single-focused mind of Christ produces the single-focused loyalty to the Savior, which is seen in how we build relationships with others for the rest of our lives, changing the, chasing excuse me, the single-focused pursuit of Christ. What will you keep count of in 2024? Think about that. Lord, we thank you for this day. We're thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to, to be in your presence, in your house, and to be reminded of what's most important. Lord, I know the people here want to make 2024 count. They do an incredible job already in 2023. We saw it in the video. But ultimately, Lord, we don't want to stop there. We want to continue to press on and, and pursue you with everything in us. I pray that the people gathered here, Lord, will put you and your gospel as a single focused pursuit of their mind, that their loyalty to, you is the loyalty to you as the risen savior is their first loyalty, to build community with others and to never grow tired and together to pursue you and press on. And it's in your name I pray, amen.